I think sometimes we can believe that other people are called to greatness, that other people have the talent, other people have the ability, and we don't. And, and I think our own self-worth is probably the most influential aspect of how much happiness and love and joy and success re we receive. I believe it's all out there. The question is how much do we let in and open ourselves to receive and appreciate? Welcome back, everybody. We're here for another episode of Comeback Stories. So today's guest inspires people to live better lives through his powerful spiritual teachings. His charismatic, relatable speaking style combines a depth of spiritual knowledge, sharp intellect, great sense of humor, and contagious enthusiasm to touch and energize his audience into expanding their understanding of God, life, and themselves. Prior to becoming a minister, for many years, he worked as a successful motivational speaker who traveled throughout America to address large Fortune 500 and other companies. Today, he's the lead minister at Unity of Phoenix, which I've been attending for many years with my mom. And I can say that you, Reverend Richard Mirage, have truly changed my life. And it's an honor to have you on our show. Uh, Donnie, thanks. And Darren, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and excited uh, to do some sharing. So we dive right in. And the first question we ask all of our guests is, can you just finish this statement? Growing up for me was. Growing up for me was fabulous. I was born in Trinidad in the Caribbean. I'm one of 10 kids, youngest boy, number eight out of 10. And then when I was six, uh, my parents moved uh, to Canada. My uncle went to Princeton and then my other uncle went to Hamilton, Ontario, which is about 45 minutes away from Toronto. So we followed him. And so I grew up in Canada. And I really enjoyed it a lot. It was great being one of 10 kids because I always had somebody to play with. And it's like on the first day of school, when you were nervous, the first day of anything, I had seven people I could ask for uh, advice and guidance on. So it was really a fun upbringing. I got into sports in high school. I did high jumping, basketball, and volleyball. Basketball was my favorite, but that was the one I was the least good at. I could shoot uh, free throws and jump and can dunk a volleyball, not a basketball. Uh, but volleyball is the area that I really excelled in. We won the city championship every year. We went to the provincial finals. And the best we did was uh, second in the province, but that was still a lot of fun. So my life was about athletics. I was uh, going to go to university at, at the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario, where my brother was the track and field coach there. And, and then June 30th, we graduated, which was actually my brother's birthday. The next day was July 1st, Canada Day. And, and I got paralyzed in a car accident. I was in the car, a passenger, and my girlfriend was in the back seat, and her brother, who had a learner's permit, was driving. And unfortunately, he fell asleep at the wheel, and the car rolled and went out of control. I did not have my seatbelt on, so I got thrown out of the car. And I could have landed, and it rolled on me, but I got thrown out of the car, up in the air, and it actually, the same car was then hit me. And it ended up uh, fracturing my spine, L3, a spinal cord injury. I ended up spending almost six months in the rehab hospital, told I'd never walk again. And, and then I had to go back home, and uh, they had to build a lift and an elevator ramp. And when it came time to go to university, all my friends went to university, and I was still in the rehab hospital. So it just ended everything I'd hoped for. Anything I wasn't going to the Olympics, but still having some sort of college sports career, just being able to move around and, and do all kinds of things. So everything just seemed to end. And I was just absolutely devastated. And I got more and more uh, depressed and hopeless as things went on. 
The following year, I went to university in the kinesiology program, which is a study of human movement. That's where my brother's got his PhD in at the University of Waterloo. And it was cocooned when you're in a rehab hospital and cocooned in your home. So when I went to university, it was the first time I could see all the things I couldn't. I couldn't join the basketball team. I couldn't. And kinesiology students who would have labs like the VO2 uh, Max lab where they're asking for volunteers to run on the treadmill to be tested and all these things I wanted to volunteer for and I couldn't. So I just got more and more depressed at, at, at university. And back then, things weren't always that accessible. So to get in some buildings, I would have to go in the loading zone area near the dumpster and take the freight elevator up. And so you feel extra isolated. And all the uh, people in the classes are talking about all the athletic things they're doing and all the things I couldn't do anymore. So it really brought me to a low place. I started smoking weed and drinking and doing some things just to anesthetize the pain a little bit. The one thing, though, that gave me hope was hopping in this wheelchair, and I see this guy on crutches whipping around the campus. And I kept thinking, man, I like prefer that over sitting. And so it took me a while to figure out who he was, and I ended up getting his phone number. And his name was Pano, and he was from Mexico. And I said, how do you do that? And he said he had uh, polio, and that's how it happened. But the way it happened of him walking full-time was when he was a kid, his mom said to his doctor, is there anything I can do to help him? And the doctor said, don't let him go in a wheelchair, only give him crutches, give him that as the only option, and he'll live a more active and healthy life. And so that is all I ever heard. I never even met him other than the fa- that phone call, but I was so inspired by that, I decided to leave university, get out of the wheelchair, and just be on the crutches and uh, full-time, leg braces and crutches. Now, when I left the hospital, they said the most I could do based on my function was about 30 minutes a day, that they didn't think full-time walking on crutches was even possible for me. So I didn't really care. So my mom became my therapist, and it was the winter, and we just walked back and forth in the kitchen until the springtime, and then I was able to walk outside. And our house was seven houses in from the corner. It took me an hour to get to the corner, and I'm sweating, and I'm aching, and I get so annoyed that this is how I've got to go this much effort, and I'm sweating, I'm in pain. And I thought to myself, standing in the corner, I thought, I quit, I'm done, this is it. And then I realized that the only way to get back home was to put as much work as it took in the hour to get to the corner, because I couldn't stop at the corner. And so in a way, it forced me to realize, you got to keep going. There's sometimes when you don't want to do it, you still got to do it. You got to keep believing when you don't believe, keep trying when you don't want to try And I've learned a lot of things throughout this experience from hitting a low where I actually tried to kill myself. It wasn't, you know, it was like Tylenol threes and a case of Canadian beer. So it's not exactly the, uh, but it was just sort of hit it in such a low that I didn't think I could ever be happy again. And then, but that guy, you know, seeing him walking around and then, you know, how long it took me to the corner gave me this drive that I could do anything. And so I'd be walking out in the snow. I'd be walking anywhere, anytime, just to try and get up a, a, a level of uh, independence and speed and being on my feet again. There was something about being six feet tall again, even though with crutches and braces, that for me was a strong motivating force instead of just sitting in the wheelchair. So a decision that a mom made in Mexico years ago with her son, literally 20-something years later, inspires me. And I didn't even really get to meet him much except a phone call. So sometimes people come into your life and they can be the igniting force, the catalyst, the thing that 
kind of gets you believing in yourself. And you know, my mom, she has been the biggest rock and motivator in my life because she became my therapist. And the thing that she did for me more than anything else was just believe in me. She didn't try to force me into anything. She just believed that I could have an independent life, that I could be successful in this. And she was just that unshakable rock of love uh, and support that really made a huge difference. Well, and you you touched on it. Like even with the podcast platform, we don't always realize who we're reaching. Having this platform, leveraging technology in a healthy way to make an impact, you have made such a profound impact on me. I'm looking at my notes in my cell phone, and I've got years and years of notes that I've been taking. And I teach yoga, and I teach mindfulness, and I coach now. And I look back on these notes, and it's your message that really laid the foundation for the message that I carry. So I just want you to know how much of an impact you're making on my life. Oh, cool, man. That means a lot to me. It's a lot. You you touched on your mom a little bit, and maybe that's the answer to this question, but who would you say was your first real teacher? It's her. She has had such an impact on my life. She's passed away now, and I still think of things that she taught me. She taught me things like, I remember she'd always say, if I was reluctant about putting out the garbage or doing the dishes, and would whine about it. She'd always say, if you can't do it with a loving heart, you can't. You don't need to do it. And so like right there, she'd get me. So she wouldn't force me. She always said, no, you don't have to do it. Because if you can't do it with a loving heart, don't do it. She would say these one line things that just would get me to become aware of what the truth is. And one of the things was I used to like helping her baking cakes and I would get to flour the pan and do all this stuff. But I would always be looking at it and trying to open the oven to see how long how long it takes. And she'd always say, Richard, do you want, and I would say, Mom, if we do 420 uh, for 40 minutes, why don't we do it to, for 500 and we can have it in 15 minutes? <laughs> and she said, we could try that. But most likely, it'll look cooked on the outside, but it won't be cooked on the inside. And she would teach me things like that to not rush things, how that things take time to unfold. And you think you're getting it quicker, but you're not getting it better because there are things in life that just have to naturally bake and unfold and develop on their own. And so she really, from the time I was a kid, really taught me a lot. And then with the the walking thing, she just created this loving space and always was there with me with the exercises and just believing that I could do it. She really was just an absolute incredible a great teacher in my life. I've had several, I got to tell you. So my mom's the biggest by far, but one of the things I started learning was that people do things really well, and I would make people my role model, whether they knew it or not. And so from that Pano's mom to Pano, there were all kinds of people who did things that inspired me. Like I remember when I finally did go to university, there was this professor, his name was Professor March, it was a political science class, and he was on fire. And I was like really struggling and trying to find myself and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, man, I'm going to major in political science. Because I thought he was on fire for political science, so it's political science. Then I went into political science, and it wasn't political science. But what he taught me was find what you're passionate about. Find what gets you jazzed and turned on. And so he ended up teaching me that, unknown to him. But it made me realize that everybody's got something that kind of lights you on fire some kind of gift you've been given. It doesn't necessarily, everybody always wants to attach it to their job, but it's not always your job. There are different talents and abilities that touch people in different ways, and it's not always for pay, but it's the gift that we always come in with uh, that that we're meant to share, and it's to find that thing and to give it life. Let it come forth in the way it is meant to come forth. My brother's a kinesiology professor, 
but he also writes beautiful poetry. And people always think you got to choose one or the other. And I read a book called The Slash. So my brother's a professor slash poet. And I know people who are lawyers slash actors. And so you can live the slash. You don't necessarily have to have it be one thing and one career only. And it doesn't even have to be a career. It could just be a sideline hobby that gives you a, a level of fulfillment. What I ended up doing, and I didn't even know I was doing it, was I wanted to find my passion. And I wasn't really looking, but I ended up finding it. So my brother, Derek, when after I'm trying to work on walking, I thought, I can't still get no job. I got nothing going on here. He told me to join this group called Toastmasters. It's called Toastmasters International. You ever heard of it? It's a public speaking group. And so anyway, I reluctantly went. I was terrified. I thought there's no way I could do any public speaking. But he encouraged me. And I started winning these contests. And then next thing I know, I was at the World Championship of Public Speaking in Dallas, Texas. So I found this thing that I love, which was just speaking and sharing ideas with people. And then after I was winning these contests and stuff, you're only doing it in Toastmaster meetings. My brother said, hey, why don't you get out in the community? Go speak in jails and halfway houses and high schools and speak to rotary clubs. So I started doing that. I started speaking in prisons and halfway houses. And then I started getting a few bucks here and there. Uh, I couldn't believe anybody like they'd pay for this. But then I realized it wasn't a lot. And if I want to make a, a living, I need to charge a little more. And and I wasn't very good at all that business stuff. And after about two or three years, I went to my brother. I said, man, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to get a desk job. You know, I'm not going to make any money doing this thing. And he said, no, you got to keep going. You're born to do this. It would be a sin for you not to. So I'll help you. I'll help you market. And the next thing, I got a job for $3,200 for a gig, for a talk. And so he, him believing in myself and pushing me, even though I found the passion, still takes work for it to unfold and develop. And then things were going good. And then somehow I really felt called to ministry. I really felt talking about spirituality. I want to talk about forgiveness and thankfulness and gratitude. You can go talk about goals and motivation. And I did that for companies. But there's a deeper depth of how all this thing comes together and a greater source behind it. And I felt like I'd compelled to talk about those deeper aspects, not just goals and success and money and those things. And so that's what the real pull and the draw was to me. It's like, there's something greater going on here. There's an energy and intelligence, or whether you call it God or spirit or whatever, is that, that it's there in us and available to all of us. And it has helped lift me out of a hopelessness, you know, into feeling joy and fulfillment. So then, just out of this motivational stuff, which is good and fine and nothing against it, my fulfillment started coming in an area that I would have never expected it. First time somebody said, hey, I think you should be a minister. I think you got the wrong guy. I am not no minister. That's not quite me. I'm more like a wise guy than a wise man. And I like sleeping in on Sundays. So it didn't seem like quite the fit. And yet, over time, it just really felt like it, it literally came from within me. It just came, came forth and unfolded. And when it's right, things fall into place perfectly. I was trying to push it in the other direction, but it wasn't moving as easy. And yet this other area, when I paid attention, actually started uh, to flow. Uh, that's amazing. I take a lot uh, from what you just said and just from how you got into wanting to use your voice and wanting to impact other people after just talking in depth uh, what your isolation was like, what you, how you felt so removed from people. But now here you are in their lives and helping people change the very core, the very foundation uh, of their life. And I feel like that has to come with changing the narrative in our own heads, going from that person that 
had to go, you know, through the service elevators and go in that direction that, you know, to come from there and to feel like I really have an impact in this world is amazing. What do you think that story shift was to go from isolation? What do you think the story is that you tell yourself in your mind? You know, I think back then the story was I wasn't good enough and my life was over. It was hopeless and nothing better was possible. And I think when I started believing that I was good enough, that it is possible, that there is something for me, even if it isn't the perfect picture of what I can sometimes imagine, that there is something for me to make a difference, to feel a sense of joy and peace and hope again. And so I think that's believing in that it's possible and then believing in ourselves. Because I think sometimes we can believe that other people are called to greatness, that other people have the talent, other people have the ability, and we don't. And and I think our own self-worth is probably the most influential aspect of how much happiness and love and joy and success we receive. I believe it's all out there. The question is, how much do we let in and open ourselves, receive and appreciate? There's a guy's name is Gay Hendricks, and he's got this thing, and I just love it. I use it all the time. He says, everyone suffers from a ULP, and that is an upper limit problem. Then in some area of our life, we always think about, oh, I can't do any more than that. I can't have any more success than that or greatness than that or financial abundance than that. And we tell ourselves that story and we keep that limit, that that upper limit on some aspect of our lives. Other areas, we we go a little better, but we need to look at those areas and realize that we're worthy and and to realize that the good and peace and joy and success is possible in, in, in those areas, even if they look a little different. And that's one of the things is you can't get too rigid and inflexible. I love this line, there's a little line of the Beatitudes, and it, it says, uh, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. And one of the things that we do to ourselves is when we're so rigid that we think life can only be this way, sometimes you got to open some space, because sometimes God and the universe will show you something even better if you're a little more flexible and you're a little more open uh, and willing. You know, So I think believing in ourselves believing it's possible, and being willing to let life teach you. Don't be so rigid and strict and stubborn, because there's a lot of good out there if we just open our hearts and minds to it. Life will show us a lot. Give us a lot. That's amazing. Talking about being open and willing. I never imagined myself talking to the country or the world about the things that affected me the most or the things that I was most insecure about, but somehow that turned into my purpose. That turned into the way that I impact the world the most. So having that open mind as far as, you know, the things that we can do. We don't even know what we're capable of half the time because we're so in war and in turmoil with ourselves internally that we don't even give ourselves time to develop that vision of who we want to become and what we're capable of doing. So I think that is is incredible, man. Um, So when we talk about changing our stories in our mind, I feel like gratitude definitely changes for us. The things that we're grateful for before may look a little different now. So I want to ask you, what are you most grateful for? I'm glad you brought up that topic because it's one of my absolute foundations for living. I remember after my car accident, I was only focusing on all the things I couldn't do anymore. Couldn't do this, couldn't have this, couldn't achieve this. And at the first service I went to, uh, Donnie, at, at a Unity Church, the minister said a line, she said, you have to be grateful for what you have today. Because if you aren't thankful and appreciative of what you've got now, you'll never be able to be grateful and thankful and enjoy those things later when you get them. Because we're always looking to be grateful for something that I'll be thankful when. And so that one really struck a chord in me, that I realized that I wasn't being thankful that I could still speak and hear 
and that I could stand with braces and I have a loving family. And so it really changed my focus from what I didn't have to how much I really have, so much good there is. And it helped me enjoy and open up in life in, in, in such great ways. You feel lighter and brighter that even when things don't go well, you still don't let that one thing pull your whole life down because you realize there's still so much good going on. So I think an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness really just opens our minds. We tend to recognize the good more. We enjoy what we have more. And we open ourselves to solutions more easily because when you're coming from a thankful place, like attracts like. So when you're more grateful, you have more things to be grateful. When you appreciate more, there's more things to appreciate. And so it, I would say gratitude for me was number one in changing my mindset and my life in terms of that type of a spiritual mindset and practice. And the other one for me was forgiveness. I really believe that generally speaking, the hardest thing human beings have a time doing is letting go. And sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time getting over something that happened in the past. So we're so stuck in the past that sometimes forgiveness and, and letting go. And so the driver of the car, I had a hard time forgiving him, falling asleep, and I felt like he ruined my life. So I would have these, I would call them revenge fantasies. You ever somebody ever do something to you and you imagine something not so good happening to them? So I would play all these little fantasies in my head. And this is for real. I used to play this one where I'd be driving down the road and I see him crossing the road and I'd speed up and hit him and then I'd put it in reverse and go back and I'd put it in forward and go. And I would just run. But I didn't want to kill him. I just want him to suffer the way I felt like he had ruined my life and brought suffering to me. So at the time, my mom would drop these daily words, these little daily devotionals around the house. And the more she did it, I knew she was doing it. And the more I would not pick them up. But finally, one day I picked one up and the word for the day was forgiveness. And it said, most people don't want to forgive because it feels like they're letting the other person off the hook. And for what they do to us, we don't want to let them off the hook. So we hold on to anger and hate, but then it says the only person you let off the hook when you forgive is yourself. Because when you hold anger and bitterness and blame and hatred and resentment in your heart, there's no room for love or peace or joy. And then I realized he wasn't doing nothing to me, that I was doing it to me. And so the funny thing is, about three years later, my dad got me some hand controls, and I was driving his car, and I'm driving down the street, and who do I see crossing the street? And you, it was like almost God was a big setup, and the guy driving the car, and I'm like, you ever see those TV shows where like a little angel, a little devil pops up on their shoulder and they're having like a little argument? So the um, devil is like, come on, man, it's payback time. It's presenting itself for you. Hit him. Hit him. It's only three points. Hit him. And then the angel part, of course, is there's no need for that. You've moved beyond that. Everything's cool. So anyway, I get to the corner. I stop at the stop sign. He runs across. I honk the horn and I just wave at him. And you know, when, when you're running and or you're out, you can't recognize the person in the car. It took him a second. He recognized. I think he was more shocked than anything, but he waved and kept running. And when I turned that corner, I think it was really good because I think it let me know everything was okay, that I've moved on from that, that I've got a new chapter in my life and I'm going to move in a whole new direction. And so for me, I think forgiveness frees us from the past. It frees us from the pain and the blame that we could sometimes have. It is one of the most liberating practices, not one of the easiest. I think Gratitude, in a sense, is easier, although we just need to practice it more consistently. But forgiveness really takes some work to actually let go 
and to release something lovingly and choose to move forward is sometimes challenging, but absolutely liberating. Well, we know through the program, the 12-step program, that resentments is the number one offender, where if we're not working through those and releasing them and looking at our part in those resentments, which helps us certainly loosen the grip on the resentment, um, that is typically what will cause people to go back out and use if they haven't got through that whole fourth step, all the the step work. But something else I wanted to mention to you that I what I love so much about your delivery and your message and how you weave spirituality and God into some of what are my favorite books, and then you nail them. Just recently, you did The Psychology of Success, which was all around mindset with Carol Dweck. So I'm hoping maybe you can drop some wisdom on that, because Darren and I are talking about it on the podcast. We coach around fixed mindset versus growth mindset. But could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, our perspective and how we see the world really determines everything. Yeah, maybe it, it gets overused, but the glass half empty, half full really makes a difference. The lens through which we see life and so this whole idea about the, the fixed mindset and uh, growth mindset, I think is just absolutely br- brilliant and 100% true of life. And it is the thing that I think that that, that, that switches us from impossible to, to, to absolutely 100% possible, from uh, negative to positive. I'm not sure exactly what to share more because you guys know it so uh, well, but, but I do 100% uh, believe in it. I think when we have a fixed, rigid mindset and look at something and think it'll never work or that's not possible or it's hopeless, and the thing is, we do that all the time, like in relationships. This relationship's never going to work or get healed. Family issues, all kinds of different things we close off as being possible. Like after my car accident, I definitely had a fixed, very limited mindset, thinking I could never find happiness, I'll never get a job, no woman will ever love me. I had a whole list of all the nevers that would happen. And that all just had to do with mindset. Because when you uh, move it forward, nothing physically changed for me, but everything changed. And the only place that actually changed was in my mindset and how I saw the world, seeing it through the eyes of being thankful, seeing it through the eyes of things being possible, uh, seeing through the eyes of knowing that things can get better. That when you put work and effort into something that even failed, you will absolutely get better. Like I have this belief that anything that happens to you, three things can come out of it. It can make you worse. It can leave you unchanged. Or it can improve you and take you to, to, to higher heights. And all those are a mindset. It, it is a mindset to say, this thing ruined my life or blame this person for my uh, whatever, my unhappiness. We, or we could just use it as nothing. It's not, we just go back to being the same person we were. Or we could use it to make us wiser, stronger, more successful, more driven. And yes, yeah, so 100%, everything that you said about that, I believe. Fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And I think it's, it really is easy to teach yourself to develop a growth mindset. You know, just ask you to, you know, so what else is possible from this? What is the good in this situation? What can I learn? Simple little questions that you can ask yourself. And I'm a big fan of questions. There's a Cameroonian proverb that says, he who asks the question cannot avoid the answer. So just asking yourself a question. We think we got to know things. We don't. We just need to know the right question to ask. Einstein used to say that, just know the right question to ask. And so if a situation looks is, is hopeless, we think, so what is the good that could come out of this? Or how is it that I could get a little wiser or stronger? Or what is it there in this to teach me? And so the power of questions, I'm a big fan. I actually have a partially written book <laughs> called The Power of Questions because it really makes a difference. It gets your mind just opening up avenues of possibility you never thought. And we always think we need to know everything, and we don't. 
We just need to open the space. And questions really do an amazing job of that. And so I think it's that's one aspect of a growth mindset is the ability to ask questions. Leonardo da Vinci was considered the greatest genius. They evaluated all these uh, levels. And you know what the number one thing that made him a genius was? A curious mind. Because he would say, is that possible? Or how would I solve that problem? He always asked, why not? He, and it was really about a curious mind of asking questions. And, and that's what all growth is all about. Exploring possibilities and ideas, looking from different angles and seeing what good uh, we can find or create or manifest. Yeah, so I'm 100% a fan like you guys are on that. Well, I like that you brought in curiosity because even in, in our own world, what brings in more intimacy and meaning and depth in relationships and conversations is curiosity. Being genuinely curious, getting into people's worlds, understanding them instead of judging them or defending ourselves. So I like that you brought up curiosity. If you could get just like one 140 character text to send yourself from the future, what would that be? First of all, I have no idea what 140 characters mean. <laughs> how many words. So it's me sending me a text from the future. Okay. Yeah. If me sending me, wow, I don't, I'm not even quite sure. So it's me sending me in terms of what I'd already done or what I will do. But what would you say to your past self? Oh, what do I say to my past self? I would say that uh, I would say just keep being yourself. Just keep living your most authentic life. Find that unique thing that was put in you and keep bringing it forth. Keep searching it. Don't compare yourself to anybody. I, I used to compare myself as a speaker. I think speakers should be speaking like blah, blah, blah. And I was always a little goofy. And But the more I got comfortable with myself, I think the more effective I got to be as a speaker. So I would probably say is to keep finding your authentic self and keep going deeper in bringing out the very best uh, of who God made you to be. Bring out your own uniqueness. Because sometimes I think we want to imitate. And sometimes imitation is a nice way to start learning. But at some point, you got to discover the authenticity within yourself. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the, correct, the question correctly, but I would say that's probably one of the things is keep being true to yourself. Be comfortable in your own skin. Be happy with the body that God gave you. Make the best of it, yes, but be at peace and comfortable with who you are because there's a lot of greatness and beauty and talent and goodness that only we can bring to the world. And so uh, th there's that line, to thine own self be true. It is a very true and powerful, a powerful thing. Uh, and I think it is one of the greatest heights of emotional and spiritual maturity is to be comfortable with who we are and be fully true and honest with who we are and authentically bring it forth. Just at the end of the day, that the validation that we have for ourselves is so much more powerful than any validation that we can get from outside of ourselves. We get caught up in playing that game. It'll never be enough. Right. We could have millions of followers or millions of streams or millions of people check into our message, but right. if that's the game that we're playing, that will never be enough. But like you said, being true to ourselves is really the answer. And speaking to the people that are really trying to be true to themselves, what would you say to somebody that really wants to see that happen for themselves in their lives, but they just don't know what action to take right. to, to get started or how to actually make that happen? What would you say to them? I'm a big fan of role models and mentors. Like I think connecting with someone who's got a mindset of success, like for me, I made people my role models and they didn't even know it. If I saw someone like run a meeting really well, I'd be like taking notes in my head. Wow, look at the way they do this and that. 
and know that that potential, there's a version of that in me. And so sometimes I didn't even ask them anything. And then other people, I would actually go interview them. I would go ask them questions. Hey, how do you do this? I want to get into real estate uh, rentals. So I knew a couple of guys who were successful at it. And I said, would you okay if I just come chat to you, ask you some questions? And I would just ask them questions. And so whether it was in real estate or whether it's in public speaking or whether it's in how to be a better leader, I'm a big fan of, of finding role models, asking questions and learning because then that begins to open our own minds. Number one is believing in yourself, but, but I think sometimes just getting out there and finding new ideas and new perspectives. Uh, really uh, open us up. And, and particularly when we resonate with seeing someone doing something that really resonates with us. I don't know if you remember uh, Les Brown. He's a motivational speaker and he was on PBS. I remember when I saw him, I thought, man, I want to do it the way he does. I love that. And I even thought to myself, well, I'm watching it on PBS. I thought one day we're going to share the stage. I just, I don't know what got into me. And anyway, I just really loved him, read his stuff. And then, strangely, in Vegas, I'm walking through the uh, casino in a hotel, and who walks right to me but Les Brown. And so we have this little chat, and I said, I'm a big fan, blah, blah, blah. So here's my personal fo- uh, phone number. Call me. We'll hook something up. So he ended up coming here uh, and speaking here, and, and, and we shared the stage here. And the way he spoke, there was something about it that did something for me. And we had several long conversations later that just that was just so meaningful uh, for me. So I, I really think finding role models, people doing what you do, whether you talk to them or not, if you just take it in, even w- watching uh, Michael Jordan or anybody playing, anybody doing what they do best that sets you on fire, I think triggers something in us that gets our own fire going. And so then I started looking at people like that, whether you know there were teachers or stars or people I knew or didn't know. Once I saw that little magic coming in them, I just wrapped myself around it. And I was thankful for the ones I interviewed that were willing enough. And I think most people are willing to share and talk. And for the ones that didn't, they had that on me as well. I've had several people, like that professor, he never, he has no idea that his passion for political science would light me on fire. And that, again, Pano's mom in Mexico, there are all kinds of uh, things, but I took it in. And when you take it in, it, 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 it has that impact. Amazing. So our last question is always giving love because we, we don't do this alone. We, we can't do it alone and we're actually never alone. But who would you say gets your comeback story shout out? I think already my mom and then I probably just have a whole list. My brother Derek for introducing me to Toastmasters and tell me to get out there and then having me not quit and believing I was born to do it. Those who are probably the top of the list. And then there are countless ones like the professor and, and Pano and, and his mom. Even at my car accident, there was like, so it was in a very remote area. It's just more like country. And uh, so I'm laying there in the grass bleeding and uh, in pain, like I'd never felt. And somebody stopped their car and I'm lying there. And he said, everything's going to be kid. Everything's going to be okay. And uh, so they called the ambulance and it'll be okay. And so he's just comforting me through this whole thing. And then I'm laying there in pain. And he says, so what's your name? And I said, my name is Richard Bronze. He said, what day is this? I said, it's July the 1st. It's Canada. Where do you live? I live in Hamilton, Ontario. So I'm in more pain and there's quiet. And I close my eyes because I'm just, oh, just hurting like crazy. And two minutes later, he says, so what's your name? I said, my name is Richard Bronze. He said, what day is it? He says, it's July 1st. Where do you live? I live in Hamilton, Ontario. A few minutes go by, I'm in more pain. And then he says again, what's your name? And I said, man, my name is Richard. And I'm getting really tired of talking to you. You need to talk to somebody else. <laughs> 
And anyway, a few minutes later, the ambulance comes. They put me on the stretcher, and they're putting me into the ambulance. And just as they're about to close the door, I see this guy standing there, and he's got his fist in the air as if to say, hang in there, kid. Everything's going to be okay. The door's closed. Never saw the man, never met him, don't know anything about him. But in that moment, that guy was like an angel to me, just bringing some comfort. And uh, and even those qu- little questions, I know they say if you get a head thing, you got to stay awake. I know what he was doing, but it was cool to be able to just even make that little joke with him. And and here we are, like forty like something years later, still all these people are just always amazed at how big and small, from one moment to many years, people touch your lives in amazing ways. And I think when we let it in and acknowledge it and use it, it helps us to touch other people's lives as well. So shout out to that stranger man who I've never known or never met again. I get emotional just hearing you speak, man, because I think back to my journey and early on a while back, my struggles with addiction and my mom always wanted me to come to church with her. And early on, I would go for her, right? To make her happy. But the seeds that you planted, I think Darren and I share a a commonality and we both overdosed. And one of the things I always think about is, what it would have been like for my mom to have to wake up every single day knowing she lost her baby boy. Like I get emotional even thinking about that, but my commitment and over the pandemic, obviously we couldn't go to church, but what you've done for me to be able to connect with my mom, our Sundays are our thing. So over the pandemic, we went to coffee plantation and we watched (laughs) it every Sunday. So what it's done for the connection for me and my mom, but also just the wisdom and the knowledge. My mom hears me do these speaking events or teaching yoga. And she goes, that's Richard speaking through you. So I just want to thank you, man. This is super meaningful to me. And you mean the world to me, even though maybe you haven't realized that. So again, appreciate you. Thank you, man. That means a lot to me. And this has been a real special time. I've enjoyed every second of this experience. It's really uh, lifted me up and got me inspired. So thank you both. And thank you for being here. It's a, it's a blessing for sure. So if you're ever in Phoenix, uh, Unity of Phoenix, you can catch Unity of Phoenix on YouTube. Where else can people track you down? Or is that the best place or the website? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the website's probably the best place. And then just Googling it on YouTube, uh, you can find uh, lots and lots of talks. All right. Peace. This is what I represent. Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, okay. but every king's going to get crowned. 